Welcome to Broadcasting Common Ground, the Deep Foundation Institute's podcast channel. In this series, DFI's Rumble, we will be speaking with opposing industry representatives, asking hard questions and facilitating a polite argument. In this episode, Numerical Modeler versus Skeptic, Augusto Lissarelli will be representing Numerical Modelers, and Brian Anderson will be representing Skeptics. Sponsored by ECA. Welcome to DFI's podcast, Broadcasting Common Ground. I'm Lucky Nagarajan, and welcome to Rumble, where we ask two guests to enter the arena and go toe-to-toe on topics relevant to our industry. The referee facilitates the discussion. In this episode, Tim Siegel refers, refers the discussion between Augusto Lucarelli, Principal Engineer with Itasca Consulting Group, and Dr. Brian Anderson, Associate Professor at Auburn University. Tim, can you give us a hint of what is in store for us? Lucky, in this episode of Rumble, we're going to hear from a numerical modeler and a skeptic. Here's a look at our ticket. In one corner, we've got Augusto Lucarelli. He splits his time between Italy and the United States. His specialty is the finite difference software FLAC or its three-dimensional counterpart FLAC 3D. Needless to say, Augusto is our numerical modeler. In the other corner is Dr. Brian Anderson. Brian is an associate professor in geotechnical engineering at Auburn University in Alabama. We have asked Brian and he has accepted to play the part of a skeptic, a cynic, a doubter, if you will. We are very grateful for these two geotechnical experts for their willingness to join our podcast. Thank you, Tim. That's wonderful. Um, And thanks to Augusto and Brian. I'm sure it's going to be a treat for us. Thank you. Take it away, Tim. Let me remind our audience that we have three rounds. We have asked our contestants to be respectful, which I'm certain they will. I will make sure each guest has a chance to speak. All right, everybody, when you hear the bell, let's come out swinging. All right, welcome Augusto and Brian. Let me start on the side of numerical modeling. Augusto, in terms of use and advancements, Numerical modeling, and more precisely, numerical modeling software, has greatly outpaced other parts of our industry. We still use the standard penetration test. We still use Atterberg limits. But we have extremely complex numerical modeling software, and they are constantly improved and updated. Why do you think this is the situation? Uh, it's a great starting question. Um, on one side, I would say that, um, you know, the fact that we still use the, the SPT, for example, as a soil investigation tool that, as we know, is not the, the best tool uh, that we can implement in many situations. 
you know, doesn't make it up and doesn't justify that we should still use, uh, you know, subpar uh, numerical uh, or analysis tools in general. And I would rather think about this in terms in term of numerical analysis in general as a tool inside our toolbox instead of specific uh, aspect of each software. Uh, because that is a secondary, it's just a detail, but let's, th let's think about the framework of the numerical analysis. Even if we have, and I, I, I do rely on Arable Limit uh, or SPP, uh, even to set up, especially Arable Limit, let's think about a landslide in which uh, you have to investigate the distribution of properties and Arable Limit is a very convenient and easy way <clears throat> to come up with you know, residual. Uh, estimate of residual or fully softened or peak strength using you know, literal correlation. So as a first, as a first pass, it's a very useful tool. <clears throat> but this doesn't mean that we have to rely on simplistic or simplified analysis only. The numerical analysis is, a, in my opinion, is a great tool to uh, investigate uh, and to uh, expand the unknown. Uh, I, I know that I don't know. Okay, and the numerical tool, the numerical analysis is a great tool to assess what, what matters in that circumstance. Is the stiffness of the micropile, is the relative stiffness of these two layers that they're controlling, how the, the cap beam is controlling the, the formation, uh, what is the cinematic of the system as a whole, what is the hierarchical failure once we get there. All these questions are, let's say, fundamental to try to understand what is the risks, uh, what is the, um, let's say, the best approach that we can uh, implement, and also to, to provide, let's say, uh, um, let's say a, a full spectrum uh, of, of the behavior of, of the solution that we're trying to, to implement. I like, uh, I like that. Augusto, I, I, I see where you're going. I, and I want to, I want, I'm, we're going to circle back to that, but I, I think yeah. what I hear you saying is that, that you like to see, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, you'd like to see numerical modeling as a tool in the toolbox. And one of the things that it can do that perhaps the standard penetration test or Atterberg limits, while they, they do what they do very well, but numerical modeling helps you expand and test, uh, hypotheticals and let you see how things react. Is that kind of what you're saying yes. is the proper place for numerical modeling? I don't see the numerical modeling as a, as, as a deterministic tool. I don't need to right. have, and we will never have the perfect data set where we know everything. And so only in that circumstance, we should use numerical modeling because we know 15 parameters of X and Y constitutive model, and that is the perfect setup for our constitutive model. No. Well, let's let's I, circle back. Let's, let, me, yeah. let me let me get Brian in here, but we're going to circle back to that because I think that's a sure. very interesting distinction that we, we really, through this show, should make it clear. Okay, Brian, on to you. Um, kind of reverting back to the original question, um, and talking about the, the rise in numerical modeling, certainly compared to other uh, technical aspects of our industry. Um, are there other, other reasons do you think that it's grown other than on its technical merits? Well, you know, um, I'm, I grew up watching Hanna-Barbera and the Jetsons, you know, and think about Georgia Jetson. At some point, his, his, his career was pushing a button all day long, just one button. 
you know, and that's what, uh, in in some ways, sometimes I feel like I'm George Jetson. (laughs) So we've, we've become, we're becoming a a culture that wants to push buttons all day and not think. So that's, you know, I've, I've grown up, my, my academic career has been with the rise of fine element and uh, numerical software. And you begin to see that um, with as much as we teach it, and as much as our students are exposed to it, they begin to reach for that tool first in the toolbox. Every problem starts to look like a nail when your favorite tool is a hammer. So I do see uh, the growth. I mean, and also pacing with uh, the fact our computing capabilities double every six months. You know, that's a, that's, how computing has expanded. So we get more powerful, more powerful processors and computers and the software gets more fancy and we get better user interfaces. It becomes very easy to choose that tool first. It's just like if you, all of us are guilty of picking up a calculator to add two plus two. I can do that in my head, but I'm, 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 we, we do, we, we fall into these patterns where we start to choose an advanced tool when a very simple solution may have been the controlling factor. So, um, so I think uh, we, we, we're losing some trust in our own abilities. Uh, we're, we're, we're going to where we, we first go to a solution that a computer is providing to us computationally rather than maybe sitting down and thinking. So going back to that, I think it's, you know, like I said, Hanna-Barbera may have predicted this, the future that we're pushing buttons all day long. Um, but I do see us going that way. We're very comfortable. Most of us now have a computer, at least one at our desk, and we're constantly interfacing with the computer. So it's very easy to fall into that pattern rather than pulling out a sheet of paper and, and working with it problem. So, okay. Well, you, you didn't go necessarily where I thought you were going to go with that, but I, I, I see that as a, a good point. And, um, you know, the, the idea that when you've got a hammer, everything looks like a nail. And, and certainly with the young folks coming out of school, they're probably, they're probably well educated on the, whether it's any software and, and perhaps numerical modeling being the most flexible. And if they can adapt it, that especially the young folks, they can see how quickly and easily they can build a mesh. Um, but let me shift our discussion just a little bit. Um, it seems in our society that the most recent finding seems to be the most correct. And I'll give you guys an example. I remember when I was a kid, uh, eggs were a no-no. You, don't, you did not want to eat eggs. Too high in cholesterol, really bad for you. Of course, the generation before me, that's all they ate for breakfast was eggs and bacon. Now we're kind of back to the where it's saying eggs are good for you. But it seemed like the, even in medicine, the latest and greatest is the most correct. And in fact, it can cancel any of the previous knowledge we have. Um, Brian, I'll ask you, has numerical modeling kind of benefited from just being the latest and greatest, you know, kind of a, the, the, you know, being uh, always updated and brand new in, in our industry? And, and therefore more believable to clients? I mean, sure. It's a, it's, I mean, we're all in business. It's a product. You're, you know, you are going to develop and make it shinier, 
uh, and newer and update it such that it does become the tool of choice. I mean, when was the last time you got a brand new slope stability program that you were excited about? Uh, when was the last time they updated Sea Bear for bearing capacity? You know, that was in the 80s. Right, right. So, I uh, remember Sea Bear. Yeah, that was a <laughs> Corps of Engineers. <laughs> so we don't see these updates. So sure, I think there's a boost, but I personally think it goes back to this, the, 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 the massive increase in computing capability, whether now it's going from, uh, from PC to the cloud uh, and where does that take us? Now, I do, I do think that, that uh, numerical modeling has had quite a day in the sun for maybe 20 years. We are moving towards big data solutions now too, which may be a different thing. Um, and, and universities are pushing AI as well. I mean, that's the, your kids are learning AI in, in university now. So uh, it might be, we are seeing a shift, but I do think we have uh, being the latest and greatest. It's been, taking something to market that people want to update and they're willing to invest in is I'm sure that there's been a pretty big uh, boost for uh, numerical codes, numerical softwares that are commercialized. So, Sure. Okay. So I'm going to go back to Augusto. He's been very patient and Augusto, and I'm going to ask you a difficult question, but I, I, I'm not asking about your company in gen- specifically, but just in general. Um. Do you think that overall numerical modeling uh, and its results, uh, do they get a intrinsic credibility by being, let's just say the most sophisticated that is typically out there, the latest and greatest? Is there, do you think that's a factor? And, and maybe the question should be say, do you, and maybe there's a difference between Italy and the United States or different parts of the world. What, what do you yeah. think about that? It's, it's unarticulated. So let, let me start. First of all, as I was mentioning, as I was saying earlier, I know that I don't know. And my starting point is always that uh, the more I use it, the more I go and get older, the more realize that I, I know very little. So the starting point is be humble. Even if you use the greatest tool, the greatest tool should be at your service, not the other way around. Uh, there is a place and time for every tool. And this is not a substitute for our brain, okay? You can still, you should still be able to uh, pull up a piece of paper, write an equation of a piece of paper, and then outline, uh, let's say the fundamentals of the fact that you want to investigate. You should outline what data set do you have. You should outline the strategy that you are following. You should outline the uncertainty. So there is a flow, a logic, uh, and, and you have to rely on the scientific method in general. Uh, be skeptic is fundamental in our in our work. I'm, I've been kind of a use, um, classified as a believer. The only thing that I believe is the scientific method. I don't believe in the, in the results that I get on the first pass. Actually, I do tons and tons of sensitivity analysis and, 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 and changing parameters and see what would happen in different scenarios. But I do have uh, problems when we try to force ultra simplistic tool believing that they're going to provide the right answer when they're not capable of doing so. For example, if I have a foundation, a simple footing on a, on a sand, do I really need to use a, a flat 3D model? Probably not. I can just write an equation, write the bearing capacity, and Excel spreadsheet is more than enough. Do I have a pile group on a slope with a landslide? 
do I need to probably uh, start thinking about numerical modeling? Maybe yes, because there is a complex interaction that I'm not capable. I'm not smart enough to see where the potential failure would go and will be the mechanism that is mobilized. Let's put it even further. Let's have a system in which I have ground improvement, which is inclusion. I have a, a retaining wall with geogrid. One system the form at 0.1% and is already break. The other system the form at 10% and is already and is not even mobilized the full strength. What I'm gonna do in between? How can I apply methods that are relying only on forces without considering any deformation whatsoever and think that I'm and thinking that I'm doing a right, a right analysis? So what I'm trying to say, without picking on, on any type of software or, or any solution, but we need to be aware of the limitation of each tool that we are using in a critical manner. Um, and there is a time and place for, 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 for everything. Obviously, I rely on numerical analysis because I'm, 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 I'm using that all the time, uh, probably even for simplistic problem, but the mental aspect, the attitude is always you know, the, the, the old school uh, type of approach. And just different tool. Excellent, Augusto. Thank you. Okay, we're getting near the end of this round, and I'm going to ask you both the same question. Do you see that engineers could prepare a numerical model and not understand the fundamental aspects involved? If the answer is yes, what does that mean for our industry? Brian, I'll start with you. You know, I'm going to bring up a scene from uh, a movie that I like, uh, The Matrix Reloaded. I don't know if you've <laughs> seen that. Most people probably have seen that film. Uh, they were down in the in the basement of Zion looking at, uh, I think it's a water purification system. And the councilman said, I have no idea how it works, but I know that it has something to do with our clean water supply. So uh, that, that's always been a haunting concern is that you, uh, a lot of uh, curriculum, you get them uh, academic. We oftentimes don't see students who get exposure to things like continuum mechanics or um, numerical methods or uh, constitutive modeling in their curriculum, but they're given a tool very early on because it's on the computer network and they're computer savvy and can do a CAD type drawing and they can develop a model. Uh, they don't know, they know uh, what soil properties are, but they don't understand uh, kind of how the, the software works. Uh, it's just like your car. I mean, uh, I happen to be a gearhead, so I, I know a lot about cars, but many people don't. So they just, you know, it's, it's like the, 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 the archetypal group of guys with the hood up looking at the car on the side of the road and nobody knows what's going on with it. It's just broken down. So we don't know, oftentimes don't know what's under the hood of the vehicle. It's under the hood of the fine element or the fine difference or the numerical software. Uh, does that disqualify someone from using the tool because they can't explain to me a shape function? They can't explain to me how it works. Uh, you know, I, I remember you know, early on, you could never publish a paper purely on a fine element model. Of a, of a project, uh, you always got a lot of trouble, a lot of, a lot of very critical comments on uh, fine element modeling as a, as a research area. So um, I don't know, it's, uh, it's it, I do think we have 
we are at the point that a lot of people do use the software and it is a black box. It is, here's a problem. It does the computation and we have an output and, you know, they're going to have to trust that output because they don't know they're not operating in a level. They can go back and pick it apart and understand what is right and what is wrong. And I do not, and you don't ever want to be right for the wrong reason. And that's the tough thing that you, uh, you could run into. So, uh, that's my opinion. Uh, I think it's, I do think that we, uh, we have to, we, we have a, a, we're in the point where we're having to trust the software so much and that we just don't have the quite a, the level of training you do would need to have to understand how it truly operates. Thank you, Brian. All right, Augusto, you get the last word in this round. Yeah. So I'm going to yeah, pose I, the I, same I, question to you. Yeah. Uh, so I, I agree with, uh, with Brian. I see myself a disconnect uh, between, let's say, the capability of the software, what the software can do. And, you know, everybody can kind of set up a model, but the interpretation of the model, the, so the, the model in the software is in between the data that you have, the engineering problem that you have to solve, and the output. And that is where our, let's say, um, expertise uh, comes in. Uh, what data is a good data set? and what we should we do with the data and how do we need to interpret the results? What need to go into the garbage and what need to, what can be considered uh, valid? Let's face it, this is true for every method. You can, keep, you can take a closed form solution for a settlement calculation or a green constant for a calculation of bearing capacity. If you don't know what is the friction angle um, and you have no idea what is the level of strain uh, for the friction angle that should go there, then it's garbage in, garbage out. So every, in any model or any approach, you need to know what you're doing. That is, is not, a, a, let's say, a fault of the software. It's always all the, all the differential equation or the closed form solution that you plug in into Excel is always our understanding of the problem and our limitation in terms of the interpretation of the data set and the results. So that is my, uh, but yeah, I do see a disconnect between that. I'm, I'm not sure what would be the best uh, answer other than, uh, experience and, and, and develop a lot of sensitivity. Very good. Excellent. So that's the end of round one. And it's time to take a short break. Okay, we're back with Brian and Augusto for round two. Gentlemen, there is a quote from the eminent Professor Ralph Peck, and it goes something like this. If you cannot reduce a difficult engineering problem to just one eight and a half by 11 inch sheet of paper, you will probably never understand it. Brian, let me start with you. What do you think Dr. Pett meant by this? Well, again, movies are a theme of mine uh you know the movie contact great movie uh one of the statements made in contact was about uh, occam's razor you know the simplest explanation is usually the controlling um so i have in some respects i think that's what uh professor peck meant was that you know most of the time when uh we can boil things down to fairly simple um concepts that are based on limiting equilibrium, Hooke's law, 
things that we should fairly well understand. And if we can make, if we can simplify the problem into more global pieces, you can begin to understand it, understand where the stresses are going, where we would expect there to be a problem that needs further investigation. Uh, I think that that's probably what he meant is that uh, maybe from a global level, you could boil it down that way. Um, I will make a caveat to that statement though, that, um, you know, we also, because we didn't have more complicated solutions or more complex ways to tackle problems, we didn't tackle some of those problems. Problems that Peck and Trizaghi dealt with while complex in some respects are things that we routinely deal with now are far more complicated than some of the things that they dealt with in their careers. So I would qualify the statement and I do agree that we can, we can look at it and we need to be able to simplify these problems down. So we understand that when we do have a use a numerical tool that the numbers are, are making sense because we think this is where the stress concentration is, where the most settlement's going to be but we are able to tackle more complicated problems. So it might be two sheets of eight and a half lot by letter paper now. <laughs> so. Well, you know that you brought that up and I, and I want to just ping this off of you. You know, I think it used to be in engineering and it may be still today, but you don't hear it said explicitly. But I think it used to be in the day where there were gaps in our knowledge or there were, let's just say, things that were too complex to analyze we tended to try to control those in a way that now we now our simplified solution applied to it. So we simplify or, or we we controlled the environment or we controlled the design. And and I think now that 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 even that philosophy is lost. We take we uh, run up against a very complex problem, and now we do have the tools and we apply very more complex tools without even the thought that we can control the environment. Does that make sense? What I said? Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you're backing up against the observational method where in, in their day, they could just start working and design on the fly. And that's more difficult in oh yeah contracting environment to do that. So, uh, um, so yes, I, I, I agree that uh, uh, they, they also had a lot of latitude to, to work in a space that they didn't know, they didn't have the technology for. So numerical models does allow us to think differently about these problems. So, uh, so like I said, I have a halfway answer on that one, but I, you know, it's, I, I, I agree with what you're saying too. Very good. All right. Augusto, do you agree with Dr. Peck? Um, I also have a kind of a double uh, feeling about this. One, um, you know, that sheet of paper is a decent side to make a list of things that I don't know uh, and things that I, I want to investigate. Um, on the second uh, side of it is sometimes our biases and our limitation of understanding of the reality might trick us. Uh, my trick in a way that we pretend that we can understand how a complex system behaves and where the stress would go and how the complex reaction would develop while I've been surprised multiple times, kind of a doing guesswork at the beginning. This is the system. This is the way I think it will behave. And I was finding 
significantly different answer uh, with my analysis. And that is kind of a go back to the uh, learning process and using numerical tool as a lab to investigate the, the behavior. So again, if the system is relatively simple and can be boiled down to, let's say, a mostly axial component, mostly bending component or whatever, we have a good understanding. But when the system is, is relatively complex in terms of deformation involved with different components, uh, then it becomes, uh, I would say, um, probably too pretentious from, from our, at least from my side, to feel that I can simplify or understand the full spectrum of, of the response. Uh, I probably don't. And uh, I would rather uh, do uh, and investigate it uh, further. So again, it's a good starting point to have a feeling, uh, but I don't think uh, the answer should be limited and biased too much, at least at the beginning, from, from our uh, biases. Well, Just Augusto, with... uh, we, we had a really good talk uh, at the end of round one that was that in between these rounds. And um, I, I kind of want to delve further in what we talked about. Yeah. I'm, I'm just going to paint a picture here. So let's paint a picture of a numerical modeler or, or someone who wants to apply numerical modeling and they get tasked with creating a, a model and they basically, they go from, you know, zero to a hundred miles an hour. So they've got a building and they've got piles and then they apply an earthquake and then they have an excavation and they go from zero to a hundred they push the button and it gives them an answer. And they say, there it is. That's the answer. That's how much it's going to deflect or that's how much, that's my factor of safety. And they write a report and they send it off. Okay. The discussion that you and I had was a very different discussion about numerical modeling than that. And yes. I want you, we kind of use the term that you, you called it just then you called it a lab. Yes. You also said it was a chance to look at your patient. Another way to look at it would be it's like building your building ahead of time and then trying to see how it would react before you build it. Yes. Could you describe for us right now? I think that'd be very helpful to contrast your modeling compared to the person that says, I'm going to be, I'm going to model reality. I'm going to hit the button, get the answer and go to my client. Yeah, so the approach that I usually take when I have to deal with, with a complex problem, uh, it's uh, you have to apply the KISS principle every time. And you have to start with a simple, relatively simple model, even crude model, to try to investigate the basic physics is an excavation. If I remove this volume, is the model re responding uplifting? Is the, so the, really the basic understanding and the basic reaction of the model should be there. I'm not even talking about your complex constitutive model for now. You can start with a simple more Coulomb, just an elastic modulus, a, a couple of strength parameters, use your SPT, your other limit to estimate, build a simple geometry, a crude mesh that run in 15 minutes at maximum, even five minutes, and do some preliminary investigation. Once you kind of have a feeling for what's going on, then you can start implementing more uh, complicated elements. Refine the mesh, uh, refine the pile elements, add the pile elements, com complete the excavation process, 
add details to whatever is the basic that you have already uh, framed in, in your model. If you start uh, with everything in it, you, it's very likely that you're gonna get lost. You're gonna miss the fundamental behavior and, and get really lost into the details uh, and chasing the little minutia uh, that are probably not so important. And it will confuse you. If you have a reviewer in front of you that will start our questions uh, and you're not able to answer, what is the, law, the logic that you have implemented and how do you go from 0 0.0 to uh, 100, um, then you're gonna lose also your credibility. Very so good. again, the numerical, the numerical tool, uh, it's, it's really, I see it and I feel it and I apply it as a, as a lab, it's a virtual lab. Very nice. Okay, Brian. You've heard Augusto, you deal with students all the time. Uh, certainly, you, and some of them I imagine use advanced uh, software like numerical modeling. Do you get, what's your sense? Are they in tune with Augusto or do they approach it naturally in a different way? T tell us your experience. You know, it, they quickly can get dangerous. That's, that's the thing, you know, that um, students are fast, uh, fast learners. Uh, they will take something and oftentimes run very quickly with it. However, um, again, I think that um, you, we don't do enough and it really depends on the direction of, of like say a master's student or a PhD student, especially. Um, it's difficult to get a lot of depth in numerical techniques unless that's specifically what you're focusing on and you may end up in mechanical engineering or aerospace or something. And in civil, we do not do, we do not teach that much depth. So you might get one or two classes that help explain this. So I do routinely sit in on uh, doctoral dissertation defenses and uh, in geotechnical and structural engineering, as well as uh, even master's theses where students are using these tools. And I ask very pointed questions about, did you validate your model? Did you start from a simple model? Do you know if it's right? How do you know if it's right? Um, and you know, we, we really endeavor to train the students to, um, uh, to start with a very simple model. You know, I've, I've got some closed form solutions in uh, Lamb and Whitman's book that I'll say, I won't believe your software until you can replicate this closed form solution and show me that it does that at a minimum. Um, because otherwise, you know, you, you could be right for the wrong reasons. I've, I've said that before. You could think you're right for the wrong reasons. So learning not, learn to be skeptical of what you are calculating is extremely important. Um, you've got to be able to take the, the, the results and go back and, and peel back the layers, understand what's going on, uh, and definitely not, yeah, never, never just run the analysis and hand it over and say, I'm done. You know, you've got to go back and do some of your own personal post-processing so you can quality assure what you've produced. So, Brian, I'm going to ask you to ex ex expand on that just a little bit. So, you know, it, it, it does sound to me like when you talk to most of your students that they have the perception that they are, let's just say there's like one unique solution. Like 
you gave them this task. And as long as they follow the numerical steps, they will get one solution. And that is the correct one. And I think what I'm hearing from Augusto is that he approaches numerical modeling a little bit different, that he almost lose it as a way to better understand behavior. And then, and it almost, it's almost like the numerical modeling is just another tool to hone his judgment as opposed to coming up with a unique solution. Do you think you're, number one, let me, I guess, let me step over to Augusto real quick. Augusto, am I, am I onto something here? Is that kind of, is that true? Yep. 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 Yes, it is. I mean, you're, you're, you're using numerical modeling as a lab to hone your judgment, but do our students do that, Brian? Well, I think you're, you're, we are trying to rise them to that level. Okay. You know, because you think we're training them there. This is their first exposure, you know, and that, you know, students are used to doing homework problems that are have an answer. I grade it and then give them a grade on it. You know, that's their mentality as they come through school is that they, the answer is right or wrong. Uh, but then as they begin to advance, you know, like I will say, well, why don't you do a parametric study on this? Because truly the variation of this parameter, it's natural variation is this amount you might need to do a study and see how sensitive your model is to that. And that's an, a level of evolution that students, if they truly mature as modelers can get to and, and, and should aspire to being, um, to using it as a lab more than just a right or wrong tool. You know, it just depends on how, how far we can get them in that education process. So. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to tell a, a quick story and I'm going to, it doesn't even involve numerical modeling, but it goes back to this concept of us using our tools to hone our judgment. I just had a project. It was in California, and I'm not going to say be more specific than that, but um, it came down to uh, how much settlement occurred after a liquefaction event. And it seemed like, and, it, and I think it was true at the end of the day, um, the discussion was in terms of a tenth of an inch. And to satisfy the criteria, it wanted to see a piece of software that computed a certain number to a tenth of an inch. So it, it was painful for me <laughs> to watch it go on, but it didn't have anything to do with numerical modeling, but it did have with this concept that judgment aside, I want to see a calculation that is show, shows a level of precision that there is absolutely no way anybody could justify. And it was pretty, I mean, it was scary. Well, and I think, I think you hit on an important point is we, there, you, you evolve and some you know, early on, you'll see students who believe, believe it down to three decimal points. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, that and and you got to say, well, wait a minute, you know, how precise was your measurement of the friction angle? How precise were any of these other inputs into how the, precise is that? knowing the earthquake? How, yeah, uh, and then say, so if you're if you're within a half of an inch, you know, oh, maybe, yeah, I, you know, uh, uh, so yeah, and that that again, that comes down to uh, you know, maturity and 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 students who are uh, at least on our end trying to open their eyes to understand it as again 
the tool in the toolbox and how do you effectively use that tool? And it's not just a, it's not like the buttons on your calculator, you hit the plus sign and you're, you're done, you know? So um, I, 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 I definitely agree with your percent with your, uh, um, observation there, Tim. So. Very good, Brian. Well, thank you. All right. Well, that's the end of round two. All right, Lucky, I want you to chime in. How do you see this thing going? Well, they're doing fantastic. Um, I really love the choice of our speakers today because I think Augusto is talking about like, you know, the experience being in the industry for so long and using the software for so long. Uh, and Brian is talking about the students who start, uh, you know, getting exposed when they are in colleges and, you know, what, what happens next? How do they process it? I still remember, you know, uh, first, first week of my uh, so soil mechanics class in uh, University of Texas, my professor, the first sentence he told us was, what if, imagine you being an earthworm, you know, ability to go into the soil ground and look at the grains and, you know, assess uh, how you can design the structure uh, above you. You know, we can't do that, right? We definitely can't do that. Uh, so, I mean, over a period of time, the software and everything has come along very, very far. And I remember the first job I had too. Uh, some of the points that Augusto and Brian and you have raised, I remember it was not even numerical modeling, but, you know, all pile, pile and those softwares for design of foundations. Uh, my manager would, when I take the report to him and the analysis to him, he would specifically ask me, where is your hand calculations? He wanted me to understand, do you understand the software? Do you understand what the numbers you're putting in and what the numbers you're getting out? If the, your calculation and your software does not match, then you probably did not design it properly. <laughs> you know, um, that actually taught me a lot. Um, I thought he was just, you know, really giving me a lot of pain, you know, but that was not correct. You know, it took me a while to understand. So I think they have raised amazing points, amazing insiders for students, you know, to become what they can for future using numerical modeling. That's, this is amazing. And I don't see scratches on both of them. So I'm hoping they will be a little, <laughs> That's right. more, I, I, a little seen... more mean in round three. Let's see, bring it on both of you. All right. All right. Maybe we'll get a little <laughs> bit more fireworks this final round. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Lucky. All right, gentlemen. Here we are in the third and the final round. Uh, I'm going to, to give you my unscientific and purely anecdotal opinion that it seems like each generation relies more heavily on computers and probably more heavily on technology than previous generations. And I think this is also true in geotechnical engineering and the use of numerical modeling. Again, it's just want to warn you, it's purely my opinion. There was probably a time when numerical modeling was I mean, uh, it would be a person that graduated with a PhD and probably developed an, a model such as some of the old programs like FEDAM or SEEP uh, that would be hired, particularly to run that numerical model. 
But now there are certainly plenty of masters and maybe even undergraduates that when they graduate, <clears throat> their employer asks them uh, to be the to be a modeler to, you know, if, if they've got, they're going to purchase a, a product like Plaxis or, or Flack or uh, one of the other software that's available and say, Hey, we would like you to run this for the problem uh, for one of our problems. Um, Augusto, give us a little bit of you're talking to this young person and you had mentioned, you had, you had said a few things like humility, um, know what you don't know. Tell us some of the things that you would tell this young aspiring model, a modeler when they start. Um, well, first of all, I would uh, ask him or her to uh, outline the thought process. Where do you start to outline uh, really the critical thinking? of, it, it, for example, it is a foundation or it is a slope uh, problem, whatever that is, I wanna see a, a series of steps that are coherent uh, from point A to point B and are making, set, uh, are making sense. Then uh, what well, about would, the When you yeah. say making sense, tell me, maybe be more specific. I mean, someone, is that the validation process that we're, we're talking about? Yeah, somehow, somehow uh, I see, I see uh, for example, um, going back to high-level PhD, or people that tend to start too complicated, that tend to start to uh, or think or to implement uh, since the beginning stuff that are too complicated, even for the data set that we have, that we are not even to be able to control what's going on under the hood. Uh, so I would again. I'm going back to to the kiss uh, to the kiss principle. I want to uh, have an outline uh, of the steps, data, um, constitutive model that we're going to use. How do we model the structural components? Uh, what sensitivity are we going to use? Let's figure out what is or what are the parameters that are controlling the behavior. Are we do, are we, this is a service limit state that we need to pay attention to. Are we mostly focused on the final, uh, let's say um, limit equilibrium or, or final state, uh, ultimate state for the structure. So what is really the, the, the thought process that is, that is developing? And then start gathering uh, the, the information, uh, put the information in a, a organization, select a constitutive model with uh, increasing level of complicated, uh, of, um, uh, let's say complications, uh, but let's start simple as well. And then a lot of uh, um, interpretation of the results, uh, like, you know, look at the results. Why, for example, if the, the formation is higher in this point or is lower in this other one, let me give you a very simple example. It, let's okay. suppose That'd that, be good. That, we, that we have a retaining wall, okay? Uh, okay. A diaphragm wall, a multi-anchor diaphragm wall, and we have an excavation, let's say 10 meters, uh, 30 feet. And, and uh, we have SPT, and with the SPT profile, we come up with a shear wave velocity profile and with an elastic modulus profile. What I've seen multiple times doing is, okay, I wanna be conservative for the selection, uh, for the uh, settlement evaluation or the displacement evaluation behind the wall, I'm going to choose a relatively low elastic modulus. But I also need to pay attention to the structural component. 
If I do that, I tend to have more of rigid movement of the diaphragm wall, which an underestimation of the rotation and the deflection of the diaphragm wall and therefore the bending moment. So on one side, I might be conservative on the geotechnical aspect, but I may not be conservative on the structural aspects because the elastic modulus or the modulus in general, the deformability of the soil plays a role into the development of the bending moment and the structural stress resultant inside the element that we are designing to. So I wanna see this connection, why are picking one value and this conservative for one, but I have to pay attention also to the other components. So that's why I cannot really separate, oh, I am a geotechnical engineer, I'm doing only the geotechnical, I'm the structural guy, so I'm gonna do all the structure. We are talking about soil structural interaction. We need to understand both. We need to have a feeling for what's going on when we pick up one parameter or the other one. And this is a simple uh, type of approach. And I see this, this aspect, uh, this lack of understanding of these basic aspects very often. What? So, so I, I kind of want to examine this a little bit. Let's just say it, you're, let's like, let's, let's look at your example of a retaining system. Like you just said, if someone, and you've been doing it for years, Augusto. So, but let's just say I'm, I'm a, I'm aspiring numerical modeler and, and maybe I'm three years out of school and someone comes with a retaining wall. Would it be unreasonable to expect, uh, or for my, you know, would it be unreasonable to say, okay, I'm going to just simply see if I can predict an at-rest pressure and, and just do a very simple model or predict a passive pressure and see how that compares to a textbook value in just a way for me to fundam understand fundamentally the relationship in soil strength. Is that, would that be, would that be something that someone new would to that level? Yeah. It, 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 it's certainly one uh, route that we can take. Uh, although, uh, if we're still thinking about the specific problems before getting into the passive mobilization of the reaction, your structure that is sitting on top of, uh, of the wall has already gone, okay? So uh, it, it is, it is a, again, a, 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 let's say a, a, an understanding on, of how, what level of deformation do we need to have? in order to mobilize the passive reaction. I can get into there, and I, but- I And I wasn't really talking about necessarily even, but I, I would think that if you are going to represent, or me, any, any, or that person going to represent in a numerical modeler, they need to have, they need to move into something more complex, like you just talked about a diaphragm wall, uh, diaphragm wall with absolute confidence that they could at least come up with some reasonable bounds of what they intended to with a very simple wall. I'm, and I'm not suggesting that there's a passive aspect to this design. I'm just saying that you would think that rather, because I could, I've done enough modeling to know that I could build a mesh or model. And, and then when I apply it, I don't get anything at all like what our conventional practice and, and usually what ends up with is that I've made some aspect of my model that is a problem. You see what where I'm, I'm trying, going with that? 
yeah, what I'm trying to say is that that is a starting point. If we want to, for example, uh, still talk about the retaining wall and see what if the passive failure that I'm getting with uh, or the passive force uh, pressure that I'm getting with the friction angle is okay. But in my perspective, that is not enough. It, it doesn't tell it doesn't tell the story uh, that we are gonna face in reality because that is an abstraction. That is a limit state. And, uh, oh, I see what you're saying. But at least it, but at least it gives me the confidence that I, I am getting what I think I'm getting, what or think yeah. I should be getting, right? Yeah. Again, it's a, it's a starting point, but just be aware that because the passive pressure checks, uh, the design might still be completely wrong. Sure, I I'm totally get that. Right? No, no. I was not. I was just simply using it because. There are two limit states that someone reasonably could model, right? That they could say they could move the wall out from the retaining from the retained earth and yeah. see a, a reduction in earth pressure and vice versa. But um, that's all I wanted to. If, if I can just jump in out of 30 sure. seconds, because I think this is important. I feel that in our industry, there is way too much focus on ultimate state. And this okay, is true for slope stability, this is true for foundation, this is true for excavation. And we tend to neglect or put on the back burner the service limit state, and which is really the controlling. Because let's face it, if you have a roadway that move three inches and you go out of service, limit equilibrium is not even invoked yet, but you cannot drive on top of it. And I you have to close the highway. Augusto, let's so, let's circle back. Let's get Brian involved. But yeah, but your sorry, point, so I, I got carried away. <laughs> that's all right. But your point, we'll get we'll come back to it. Uh, Brian, um, let me get you in here. Um, would you agree with me? And we're going back to students and young engineers. Would you agree with me that they are drawn um, to numerical modeling more than ever? Um, and I guess I'd also ask you what, and, and you've kind of touched on it, but what would your recommendation or, or your advice be to them if they want to pursue that as a, a big part of their career? Well, I want to say, yes, I see more people drawn. I think there's several reasons. I think, uh, well, throw them out there. It goes back to what you said before. It's the latest and greatest. It's cool. You know, we love our computers. We love our big screens and they produce great multicolor graphs and outputs and heat plots and things that you can show your boss and be very impressive when he asks for an analysis or they ask for an analysis. So people are very, it's, 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 it's exciting. It's uh, it's something that's neat. It gives you pages and rings of output that you can look productive with uh, at times. Um, so I do think we're drawn. I think that, I think that the way our industry has shifted in the past 20 years of my career is f more and more faculty or numerical modelers. Uh, there, there's quite a, um, I was going to touch on that and I wanted to, I, I mean, I think I, am I right? Is it, would it, am I right that the part of the reason for that is that something that doesn't require a lot of money to pursue in terms of research. I mean, you have to have the software, but it's not like you're building full-size foundations or you're not putting in very, very expensive instrumentation. 
I mean, you're talking, you're talking to a person that does that and it's, it's tough, you know, and I can get, you know, it's it, sometimes it's difficult to get a lot of published work out of a lot of effort when you do load testing and instrumentation, but I just love it. That's what I like to do. Uh, it's very easy when you're making models and developing things and sitting in a computer. Uh, I'm being facetious to an extent. Oh, wait, so please to say not it's to offend easy, my, right, my but, modeling colleagues. But, it's, but, still, but maybe it's within your it's, more. It's, you could certainly yeah, say it's in, within more in your control. Yeah. If you're if you're installing a test shaft, it could take a week or it could take ten weeks, and it's all outside your control. Yeah. But at least yeah. with a numerical model, you're like, hey, it's raining today. I can do my numerical model you know, rain or shine. Well, and, and, and so we see a lot more uh, young people coming through, especially graduate programs and their advisors are numerical modelers. So you become a numerical modeler because that's what you're exposed to. And we're seeing, you know, you know, finite element, finite difference, discrete element. You see all of that, those flavors now, and uh, people are are using, they're just becoming those experts. Um, So yes, we're definitely seeing more, more of that my what i want my wish for the students and the young professionals is get your hands on case histories that are simple things that people spend a lot of time measuring and testing and use those and make your own models those are your closed form solutions oftentimes find really nicely published case studies model it do it on do it on the side develop your trust in that software with something that someone has already done and documented rather than trusting, having to put a lot of faith in, in the patient that you're building, you're simulating. There's a lot of good case studies in the literature that many folks have really worked hard to publish. Get that information. If it's a pile load test, if it's a retaining wall, if it's a footing, uh, there's a lot of work at Texas A&M on footings. Uh, there's, so many things out there that's where you can really hone your skills you can develop your trust in your software do not uh don't just take it for face value sit in every class you know go to a short course on the software something you know try to try to peek behind the curtain and see if oz is back there and see what's going on behind the scenes because that's the way you'll become the master modeler in my opinion is when you know really what's going on. Uh, you might could task someone with building the mesh and everything, but if you really want to be the person that knows what's going on, that's it. Again, don't be ripe for the wrong reasons. You know, don't trust something just because. Uh, I sit in a lot of, and it, it, we we really hold our students here at Auburn to uh, when you are doing a numerical thesis or dissertation, you need to validate. You've got to prove to us that you know that you're what you did was correct, or at least um, it, it has a good chance of being correct. How's that? So. That's great. Okay. So I'm going, we're getting kind of near the end of our show, but I, I Brian, while you're talking, I, I thought of a, first, I thought that was excellent. Uh, but I also thought of something that I've experienced firsthand. And um, it, is a I've been on several expert cases where a a high level academic or maybe even a high level you know a, a practicing engineer uses a 
numerical model as a way of of first gaining I think trying to gain an advantage for the client by either showing them a mode of failure or a uh, or support for their client's case but also what I've noticed is that it's it's instant credibility to the public the the model looks beautiful it looks like uh you know it looks like a George Jetson cartoon, which we all know is sounded and found in fact, rooted in fact, um, being a little facetious there. But um, so we've got these issues. We've got numerical modeling that it uh, it can mislead you with answers if you don't calibrate it. It is it could be used as kind of a, a club or a weapon to beat. Uh, the other person in maybe and take advantage of its credibility in a, in a court case. Um, there are, it can, it can actually probably retard some folks from developing good analytical skills by relying upon numerical modeling, as opposed to using other tools such that are, you know, closed form solutions that have been out there for many years and, and pretty reasonable at coming up with, you know, uh, to hone your judgment. Um, let's, let's look, would you put the misuse of numerical modeling, and I'm gonna ask you both this question, would you put the misuse of numerical modeling, let's just say is one of the top 10 problems that we face in geotechnical engineering, maybe, maybe the top 20, I don't know, Maybe you're not even on your list um, as you reflect. So I'll give you guys both a few minutes to think about that. And, and maybe you'll, and, and certainly if you think of, if you, if it, and this might be a part where Augusto gets to mention the use of limit state versus service state. Um, I'll, I'll kind of give you guys some free range here to talk about it. But my, my, my main question is, yes. would you put, the misuse of numerical modeling near the top and you've got some opportunity to expand on that. Brian, you go first. I'm going to put it in the top 10, um, uh, maybe near the top five, but in the top 10, I'm going to quote, uh, uh, geophysicists here. You know, you ask a geophysicist what the answer is and they'll say, well, what do you want it to be? And that, that's oftentimes a perception is that someone can produce a numerical model to tell exactly what you want. So like going into court, you know, you, there are all these different scenarios that you could examine. And for various reasons, the model could point towards one or two or very different failure points or critical points. And a lot of times it's interpretation or convincing someone to pay attention to one part of the model and not the other and uh, whether it's a court case or even research, sometimes we're distracted by what's in front of us and that we need to look further. And what was actually the problem was in the background. It wasn't in the foreground and we just didn't pay attention to it. So, uh, and whether or not, again, it's used purposefully to, to distract or if we just didn't know enough to pay attention to it. So I think that 
you know, and I think it's, it's a very, it's a very uh, broad basket of broad brush to paint with as far as numerical modeling in general. But I think issues with interpretation uh, issues with um, just being, uh, being better prepared and better qualified to, uh, to implement the models and interpret the models is definitely a top 10 issue that we face. Uh, and I think it's only going to get more complicated. I hate to say that. Um, I mentioned earlier that machine learning is, is taking us by storm. Um, and at some point it's going to be removing the human element even more from numerical modeling. Like you'll scan something and you won't be building the mesh. The mesh will be auto-generated and other things. Uh, and trying to keep that judgment in there as long as we can, we need that. So I think it's, it's even more critical that we understand uh, as much as we can about what it's, what's, what's behind the curtain. Uh, so again, I'm going to leave it in the top 10 and maybe it, maybe we could work its way to the top five. So. All right, Brian, thank you. Thank you. All right, Augusto, I, I'm being a little bit unfair here because I've already to, to you, because I've already made uh, numerical modeling uh, cast it as misuse of the numerical modeling. So don't take offense to that, but Tell me what you think. Uh, would you would you even put it up there? Um, well, um, let me step back a little bit. I'm not sure in which, in which position, at what position I would put it. I, I kind of have a, a general issue with this uh, framework in general, kind of putting numerical modeling as the uh, problem uh, of the geote of geotechnical engineering in general. Uh, Wait, now, now carefully, I, I chose my words carefully. I said the misuse of it yeah. is the, is the no, problem. No, no, no. I, 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 I wasn't trying to incriminate all I of totally, it. Yeah, and, 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 and I'm just touching and uh, reconnecting to that word, which is very uh, well chosen, uh, which is misuse, because you can misuse everything. You have a closed form solution, usually is developed for boundary conditions that are very simple. They're not based on reality. And why would you think that in a real problem, if you don't have the correct boundary condition, a closed form solution would give you the right answer? Usually there are correction factor or ignorance factor to be able to apply a closed form solution to a realistic problem because you don't know uh, if the boundary conditions are appropriate or not. And so that kind of ties into misuse of, of everything. The approach and the adoption of uh, ultra simplistic uh, uh, strategies uh, is problematic as well, because it's giving us the wrong answer. So it goes both ways in many directions. And in my opinion, it boils down to the capacity of being selective and understanding what we are doing and being aware of the limitation. I, I do feel that sometimes numerical modeling and that numerical model is misused, but I also see that very simplistic numerical tools are misused as well. Uh, Augusto, but I, would, I, I would say that the, the slight difference there is, and, 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 maybe, and maybe this is true in some cases, not true in others, but there is an inherent, in many cases, or in some cases, there's an inherent credibility that is given to numerical modeling that other processes don't necessarily share. And I think it's, I think it's because of its, its ability to come across so clear, concise, and representative. And that's, that's a credit to it. 
but at the same, you know, but I, you know, if I were to do settlement calculations of a pile group, for example, and I did them by hand, I would put those, I, I think someone would go through them and try to, if it were like a third party viewer, they would go through and they would very carefully look at each step and question and calculate. But if it were a, numer were a numerical model of the three group, um, there'd be very few people that could go through that. And I think there would be a lot of, I think because of the kind of the robust presentation, a lot of times the numerical model isn't put for, isn't reviewed as, as closely. Um, and that's, that, that's not the, I mean, I think that's just the reality that we're in. And that's kind of why I say that, that um, anything could be misused, but they'd all don't have a, the, that level of credibility that numerical modeling does to accompany it. If, if, I, well, if I could, yeah. go ahead, Brian. I was just going to interject and, and agree with Tim that um, I, I, you see this quite a bit that if someone doesn't understand the analysis, they may take it for face value. Whereas if they understand the analysis, they will pick it to pieces. So uh, it, it is something, and that, that's a challenge back to our profession to make sure that we are fair in that respect. So, uh, well, if, if I may, um, I've, I've been on the opposite side multiple times where, you know, the model is challenged with uh, simplistic approaches and the model is providing more elaborate and more sophisticated type of, let's say, mechanism that the simplistic approach cannot capture. And, and so this has been kind of a consider, oh, uh, like most uh, disadvantage um, in many circumstances because it doesn't provide the same answer that you would get with a limited river analysis, for example. And you have to go through a, a, an ordeal of process to, to try to justify what a simplistic analysis or simplistic tool cannot capture in reality. And so it could go both ways. In many times, in many circumstances, in my experience, it has been a disadvantage instead of being an advantage. Because on the other side, I had people that are really entrenched into their methodology and it's been very difficult to try to show that the reality could be a little bit more complex than just checking forces. And that deformation is not correct. And that is a struggle that we still face in our industry. Uh, and it's really a problem. Very good. So, uh, that's it. Thanks, Augusto. Well, there we are. That's the end of our match for today. Augusto and Brian, thank you so much. This was excellent. All right, Lucky. Um, my pleasure. <laughs> I think they did fantastic, Tim. They did fantastic. Um, I love their passion they have for numerical modeling and also like, you know, um, the valuable advice and valuable points that they brought in, you know, in the, uh, the third and the fourth round. Um, I just love it. You know, um, when we started the first round, um, I think it was Augusto who said, and I think Tim, you chimed in as well. We said basic understanding of mechanical and fundamental aspects of the project is very important to understand numerical modeling, right? And going from aspiring numerical model modeler to uh, a good uh, modeler with experience takes a lot of effort. 
um, I still remember I had a coworker. Um, this was so many years ago, and he was one of those engineers who did not enjoy going into the field. So he was very good at uh, math and he was very good at, you know, uh, writing code. So he just wanted to be a numerical modeler. So then I didn't think of it so much, but, you know, um, being in the industry for so long, I realized like, you know, you can become that, but if you don't have the basic foundation of what soil is and what soil parameters mean to you to design how difficult it is to become a good numerical modeler, right? And Brian also brought in some points about it. So that was amazing. <clears throat> no, Lucky, you're right on. Um, I, I, I remember when I was a young engineer, um, I sent away to get a, a triaxial test on sand and the lab came back with 54 degrees. <laughs> and, you know, I was frustrated. So I grabbed it and I went back and I talked to her lab technician. And of course, <laughs> It was a mess, but it just goes to show you that it's not, this was a, this was a conventional triaxial test, you know, it had nothing to do with software, but it was abused. And had mm -hmm. I not been able to think rationally and say, well, okay, 54 degrees is probably not the right answer. Uh, I could have easily passed it on to the client <clears throat> and whoever I could have designed with it. But you still you still have to have those fundamentals, um, yeah, to make sure that you're in the realm of reality. And I think Augusto and Brian brought that out very well. Yeah, I have one question for you both. Very quick answer. You know, um, I would like to hear what is the future of numerical modeling in both your aspects. The reason I'm asking this is, you know, industry and academia have to work together to advance the. Uh, right geotechnical industries. So I want to understand, Brian, what is future of numerical modeling for you? What is future of numerical modeling for you, Augusto? I can go first. Um, like I mentioned before, I think the, I think things are changing rapidly. Uh, I mean, um, I think that students are going to be using more and more numerical models. They're going to come out with that experience. Um, but I do think we're looking more towards machine learning and other things that are going to take over, at least work with numerical modeling, even take it over big data analysis, looking at phenomenological uh, solutions that are based on data, not just on models. So things are changing. But um, even for now, though, it's, the train's left the station. We're going to see a lot of numerical modeling uh, from here on out. So. Yeah, I, I totally agree. The future is uh, is brilliant. I see a significant trend toward the, the coupling of different methodology, uh, uh, like continuum mechanics, DM, particle codes colliding together to be able to capture different components of the of the behavior in general. Uh, that is a quite a strong trend uh, in many industry and in many software, and um, along with, with the big data uh, that Brian was mentioning. So I believe it's a strong future. All right, two questions for you. We talked about the fact that numerical modeling in its proper setting, it, it needs to be a tool in your toolbox to hone your judgment. Do you see that, that philosophy on the upswing or do you find it disappearing? Augusto? I believe it, it, will, it is going in that direction and I'm working hard, very hard to try to uh, move it into that direction. It's going to depend on guys like you 
and 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 females like you, whichever, right? Um, <laughs> to do that. All right, Brian, how about you? You see it going in the right direction or wrong direction? I'm doing everything in my power to make it happen. All right. I lay out the (laughs) expectation that that's what we want students to walk away with. Well, well, that's the way to end this this show Um, because that's really at the heart of it, and that's heart of engineering. Um, That's excellent. Gentlemen, I couldn't think of two better guests to talk about this topic. Thank you. This is wonderful. This is wonderful. Um, so this concludes the episode of the FI Rumble. Uh, listeners, don't forget to comment who won in the arena. Was it an engineer or the professor or the industry? Thank you. On behalf of DFI, we hope you enjoyed this episode. The views, information, and opinions expressed during Deep Foundation Institute's podcasts are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of DFI. DFI does not verify or take responsibility for the accuracy of the information contained, nor does it warrant that the information contained herein is suitable for any general or specific use. The podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Editing, modification or redistribution of this podcast is prohibited. Sponsored by ECA. Thanks for your time. Keep on surviving.